Hi, everyone. You're listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on WTBRFM Pittsfield with Roberta McCulloch-Dews up the mayor's office in the city of Pittsfield. Thanks for tuning in. Today we have with us the Reverend Nikita Bethel-Smith of Hoodshaw, Hoodshaw AME Zion Church in Providence, Rhode Island. And in her day job, she's also a forensic interviewer, victim witness advocate. Um, and then there's a we have an acronym here, CSEC, which stands for Commercial Sexual Exploitation of Children Coordinator in the Berkshire County DA's office. And later on today, we'll also have with us Brian Andrews, president of County Ambulance. But Reverend Nikita, let's get started. Do you prefer to be called Reverend Nikita or Reverend Bethel Smith? What's your preference? Either or, I'm open to. Um, some people say Rev, some okay. people say Pastor, sure. but today you can call me Nikita. <laughs> All right, I will call you Nikita. Thank you so much for, for letting me know. So before we get into your professional work, I want to share with the audience a little bit about your background. You moved to Pittsfield as a child, correct? Correct. So we moved here right at the end of the summer, and I was starting second grade at Conti Community School. All right. Okay. So you grew up on the West Side and you attended Price Memorial AME Zion Church, of whom the pastor was, was it the Reverend Willard Durant at the time? He was. Reverend Willard Durant was the pastor at the time. Sister Mabel Hamilton, Sister Cheryl Nichols would pick us up. Um, at the time, I lived in Dower Square, which is technically Ward 7. Um, so somewhat West Side. And they would pick us up and bring us into the church very early on. So that's how I got established. Wow. So one what did it feel like to be a part of this community? Because for people like myself who I moved here about 11 years ago, I was on the tail end of knowing Reverend Durant. But there are people who actually had the pleasure of intimately knowing him, just having conversations, being around him. What was it like to be a part of that community with such legendary figures as the Reverend Durant, as well as Mother Mabel Hamilton? Oh, my goodness. Well, those two in particular are who I reference as spiritual grandparents um, and separately, clearly, because um, the late uh, Mrs. Durant. Um, but Reverend Willard Durant was a spiritual grandfather to me. He'd call me Nikki. Very few people would call me Nikki. <laughs> he had the privilege. But he was a powerhouse, you know, powerhouse, command attention in the room, um, a huge giant, but a gentle giant in the community would wow. open up his doors, his heart, his spirit and his wisdom wow. um, just sticks with you. Wow. He would just say things in such a way, not the loudest, but it was very strong. And tell me a little bit about your interactions with Mother Hamilton. Oh, wow. <laughs> Mother Hamilton, I would call her a wisdom well. Um, she is a golden girl, golden goddess of the community. Um, she is a strong powerhouse, gospel something in her days. And she just had a love for ministry, missionary work, and youth. She just had a way of pulling people into her. What's your favorite memory with her? Our travels. Okay. We traveled very often to the conferences. Amy Zion Church, as you're familiar, has conferences. And as I got older, I became their driver. <laughs> <laughs> so many stories we shared and my speeding and good times. <laughs> uh, don't say that now. <laughs> But I think it's good to be able to have those memories. When you think back to these relationships, what did you take away from them that inspires you today? 
I would say their reserve, their resilience, and their ability to move through struggles and go through that and really teach, especially our people, you know, how, because they came up from difficult times, times that we wouldn't even be able to experience and encounter, only stories that we know through our history, but they actually lived through that. So I learned that there's nothing that we can't get through without Mm -hmm. our faith. Right. Do you think that these lessons can um, still have relevancy today? And um, who would you say are the leaders in the community? Because these individuals can never be replaced. But we know that there are so many people doing good work in the community. What are the messages that are being imparted today? Well, I know you had a two-part question. Your first part dealt with what did I learn from them. Mm -hmm. So what I gleaned from them um, as leaders is that you have to be able to stand up. You have to stand up even when it's uncomfortable. And you have to be that voice for the voiceless. And even if it's two or three of us, people of color in particular, then let those two or three be present and be available. I think that there are a lot of key players in the community, too many to name. I would say your husband is definitely one of those, Warren Dews. Um, Manny Slaughter is definitely a strong person in the community. Um, I know that AJ Inchill does a lot of political forefront work as well. Um, oh my goodness, there's so many. I don't want to forget Shirley Edgerton, um, Dennis Powell. I mean, the names keep going. Wow. It's like the is literally when you think about it, there's so many different hands just doing the work. And I think that's actually what we need. Yes. Because, you know, one of the conversations I had with Mother Hamilton, she talked about just, um, you know, having the kids and but the people moved away. And when they moved away, the community lost something. So I think that having people come back, we see groups, different groups, people who grew up on the west side who are saying, you know what, this is my neighborhood, this is the place where I grew up, and I still want to make a difference. So having the newbies, like myself, like my husband, but also people who have um, an attachment to the community, people who know the community well, and saying, you know, this is where I grew up, and I really want to make a difference. Well, west side legends would be what I think of, and Tony Jackson, who's a a big forefront Mm -hmm. of that movement. I mean, these are people that moved out, but came back in and never forgot about the community. Absolutely. Their presence is huge. Mm-hmm. And actually, I had mentioned them, um, just the, their force um, in the first show. Um, we talked about just the, the, the collaborations that they are currently doing. And I think why that's important is because we see how young people coming up and they're wondering, too, how do I get involved? What can I do? And seeing, all right, there's a pipeline right there. So right. you can get involved that same way. That's pretty huge. But it's necessary. Because Absolutely. when we think about strengthening a community, it's really it comes down to that individual level. What are you doing? What are you doing? But how do we collaborate? That's and that right. No one's left out at the table. That's absolutely right. And there's enough room. That's it for everyone. That's it. That's Cause, right. Because my table extends out. <laughs> <laughs> there's enough room. We don't have to elbow anyone nope. out. Everyone has a space at the table. And if you have something to offer, there's room for you. That's it. All right, so Nikita, let's get into this because I was driving down, I'm trying to say, was it East Street? (laughs) And I looked up and I said, hmm, is that Nikita Bethel Smith on a billboard? (laughs) And so your alma mater, Berkshire Community College, featured you on a billboard. And I was like, this is a great picture. One, they highlighted your current success, um, your, you know, professionally. So how did it feel to be honored in such a public way? 
Well, first of all, I was wowed. I was like, <laughs> when they said they were going to do that, I thought it was going to be a small little picture and other little highlights. I'm like, whoa, a whole billboard. <laughs> and But BCC in particular, I was very proud to represent that. And I'll tell you why. I think that people knock community college very often mm-hmm. as if it's a failure mm-hmm. if you go that route. And actually, it was the best thing for me at the time okay. and the most affordable. And I learned so much about myself at BCC. So to come back and fast track forward and to be featured on a billboard to say training our heroes yes. and to be named at that is is like I don't even have the words to really yeah. captivate what what that felt like it's and an to be honor. a black woman at yeah. that well you is listen, huge it is huge and you know I always talk about representation representation matters and I think especially um, for you know young girls of color um, but I also think for the wider world as well because yeah. I always say we live in a global society yes we do and so our communities have to reflect that and so when we have opportunities to show that diversity and to show that difference I think is powerful. Tell me a little bit about why BCC. You you talked about that it was great that you you loved it. Um, is there an experience in particular that resonates with you? Oh well, the lady Nikita, the, the person that public speaks before you now, okay. was really birthed on that campus. Wow. I was already the poet. I was already doing that part of me, but I really got comfortable and stood in my power. And at that school, in that semester, when I was taking that communication course, I cannot think of this lady's name. I know her face and everything. If I saw her now, she recorded me. I was the only student that she recorded. She told me there was something different about me. I was probably at the young whippersnapper, 21-ish, Roberta, on fire, read through this poem, did a totally different assignment than what was asked, but executed it. Did you get an A? I think I did. But that's where the communication was birthed out of me. And I realized I had the power to communicate. Amanda Rome. Mm. As nervous and as anxious as I was, I was like, there's power in my voice and I have to use it. So she was birthed there. And I will always credit that campus for that. Wow. And that's a powerful story. Thank you. That's a powerful story. I hope they have that in their alumni magazine, too. <laughs> um, so let's get into your work in the DA's office. So you occupy various roles. Tell me a little bit about the work you do, because I think I counted off like three titles. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess the, the the role that is really huge and what I first came into was the victim witness advocate role, which many people are familiar with working in and out of the courts, assisting victims, you know, who are on um, criminal cases and working with prosecutors. So that's pretty much how that role goes and exercising their victim rights under the victim bills and through MOVA, um, which is really important. You know, we give them the updates, next court dates. We help them understand their rights, their victim input, um, how to really understand court terms, because that's Mm -hmm. scary within itself. Um, I'm also a trained forensic interviewer. Um, That sounds really interesting. It's interesting and it's heavy because you're working within the child abuse Mm -hmm. unit to interview children, you know, under the age of 18 who've had any sort of sexual abuse um, yeah. child who witnessed domestic violence and that's done through the Berkshire County Kids Place mm. and then the CSEC coordinator role is at risk youth that can be male and or females yeah. but I'm pretty much screening and overseeing those cases and working alongside DS- DCF and law enforcement and everything in between wow. so <laughs> well, I, I mean, I was going to ask, does your job extend beyond the traditional nine to five time frame 
And I want to say yes, but does it? It could. It depends. You know, if something emergent comes, especially in the role of being a CSAC coordinator mm-hmm. with exploitation on the rise, you know, I may have to coordinate a response, you know, but everybody's awesome in our team and I'm thankful to mm-hmm. do what I do. Um, so it could extend to that point. For the most part, though, I'm 830 to 430. 830 to 430. I like that schedule. But flexible. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, a couple of some of your other, you know, roles that you've done it you know prior to the DA's office so you were a counselor advocate with the Elizabeth Freeman Center and you were also a co-director of mentoring with Pittsfield Community Connections some folks might know it as PCC and I see like a continuous um, professional thread of counseling and advocacy this is obviously meaningful work but it's heavy emotional work Mm -hmm. did you always know that you wanted to get into this line of work I did. I knew I wanted to do something to give back in a sense of counseling. I've always had this way about me since I was a kid, like listening to people and help advising. They'd call me Oprah sometimes in my days. (laughs) (laughs) But Elizabeth Freeman Center was my first professional career job and I was 24. So I worked there for over eight years. Wow. As a, and I did prevention work in and out of the schools alongside Reggie Wingo. So we would go do prevention, teen dating violence, bullying prevention. I did that for several years. So I'm, I'm very thankful um, for for the, the grooming and the professional growth and skills that I've wow. earned from that job. Wow. Imagine you going through the schools. You obviously have seen kids grow up. Oh, yeah. yeah. I see them as adults now. Some that don't probably won't recognize <laughs> that I taught them like how right. to be safe in a relationship. I'm like, oh, my gosh, but they're successful. Yay. Right. <laughs> well, that's the win, right? Yes. That's what you want. Yes. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, one of the things that you talked about just in the work that you do with the DA's office We know that 2020 saw a rise in acts of domestic violence, and we know the Berkshires wasn't excluded from that. So tell me a little bit about how you navigated 2020, because I feel like we all have our story of triumph and resiliency that came out of that year. So tell me how it was for you navigating that that potentially charged space. Well, for me, it would be very unique, which it was for everyone. But I have so many other roles in my life professionally. As a pastor, I had to navigate that arena with mm-hmm. running a church. And we'll talk about that in a yes. minute. Yes. And so then with work, you know, some of us were remote mm-hmm. at times. Courts were closed. That offered its challenge. Um, but I think the main thing is that we were still able to reach people. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the go to. Was it exhausting? Yes, because you have that fear of like, what's going to happen? Are people going to get their needs met during this time? I mean, I think everybody had their guard up when we were quarantined. Mm. It was challenging for everyone to work. How did you connect with people during this during this time? Zoom or? Everybody did Zoom. Yeah, I know. We did Zoom too. <laughs> Zoom fatigue is real. It absolutely is. But we love Zoom too. I know. We love it. <laughs> we did Zooms. Um you know, conference calls okay. we did, um, making sure you're sharing and updating information. Email threads are common as well professionally. Mm-hmm. So check-ins. Hmm. How did you stay connected as a team? Um, and I can't get so much into my... A- absolutely, because I understand. Because I don't speak comp- for that. Right. That's right. So what I would say is really it was just having meetings mm-hmm. weekly as often as possible okay. so no one felt disconnected mm-hmm. and I would say I really have a good director okay very good 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 what strategies do you employ to ensure that this work doesn't overwhelm you oh goodness pedicures 
<laughs> I know that sounds funny, but pedicure, self-care is key. Mm-hmm. Um, balance. Okay. And I know people say balance very often, so it becomes cliche. Mm-hmm. But when I'm talking about balance, knowing when to turn off and giving yourself permission to turn off. Because when you're a passionate person, you don't know how to really effectively balance. Mm-hmm. You have to give yourself discipline in that area. Say, I'm turning off today or I'm turning off for an hour or two. And, and remove phones and do what you need to do so no one has access to you. When did you um, start doing that? Because for some of us, we have to learn it. Mm-hmm. And for some people, it comes later on in life. Um, when did you start to say, this is something I need to do? Um, for me, the last three years. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're running a church and you're working full time, and I also do social media work mm-hmm. as well, there has to be times where no one has access to me mm-hmm. and, and that's okay. Right. It, it's a healthy thing to do. So the last three years, to be honest with you, I've I, learned that. That's important because I think, especially as women, sometimes we feel like we have to give, give, give. Mm-hmm. And when we say no, we feel like we're being selfish. And so we almost guilt ourselves into um, saying, you know, saying, yes, I'll do it. But sometimes we don't even want to do it. Yeah. Yep. But we'll do it because we don't want to feel that feeling of, well, I wasn't there for someone. But you're right. Having boundaries is an important thing. And when you it, there's the expression, you cannot pour from an empty cup. That's it. And so if your cup isn't filled, then you can't give to other people. So I think that's a lesson, especially for young people to learn as well. Like, it's great to do this and do that and everything, but you have to make sure you take care of you. And you have to, and for young people, as you're <laughs> mentioning, you have to learn when to take a step back from friends. Mm-hmm. People that are for you and your team, your crew, whatever you want to name it and call it. Right. When you are building and, and evolving mm-hmm. and going to these next places in your life, it requires a certain level for you to step away from the crowd. Mm-hmm. And people that are for you and love you won't question that in right. you. Right. And get, So young people, don't get distracted by the noise. Right. Get yourself focused because the crew is not going to always be there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think that, you know, young people and older people, too. Yes. Because it's so important that um, many individuals realize that as you're building, as you're growing, you sometimes need to remove yourself. You know, Mike grandmother used to say, you know, a friend, the definition of a friend is really powerful. And you think you have friends. But you have associates, you have yep. acquaintances. Yep. A friend is something altogether different. And we're in the realm of social media where we have 1,231 followers, followers and friends. <laughs> and we think that these people are truly in our corner. And, and for people who, you know, this, you know, social media becomes sort of that domain. You know, it's almost like the reality and the fantasy the line gets blurred. I think it gets blurred in a worse yeah. way to the point where people are starting to define their relationships mm-hmm. on that. I'm If I'm your friend, I don't have to like and share everything that you post. Right. I really don't even have to check in that much on you on a social media scale right. because we're friends and we're supposed to have an intimate space. That's right. But it's, it's offered people a sense of delusion. It- <laughs> 
Like fans doesn't mean they're your friends or you, like it, they're not really not even your supporters. Listen, that's actually a perfect word, delusion, because it is true. There is so much of and and but you know what though there there becomes a dependency oh, yeah. on that delusion yeah. Yeah. because when you see that whether you are getting the likes or you're not getting the likes, it's like, well, let me see what's yeah. what's happening. What's happening? And I look at folks who never got on social media. My brother is one of them. He never got on social media. He's doing fine, right? And he's doing fine in the real world. He has real friends and real people he talks to. And I think that if we can achieve a healthy balance, that's going to really be important, especially as for young people and older people, too, because everyone gets sucked into the vortex of social media. Ooh, I could preach a sermon on that. Well, speaking of (laughs) sermons, I want to talk about your work as pastor of Hoodshaw AME Zion Church in Providence. Um, Wow. You're you're a pastor. Yeah. And you are you are youth. You're young. You're vibrant. And you're a pastor. That is such um, a, a, a heavy, resp- not a heavy responsibility, but a, but but a great responsibility. Tell me a little bit what you know, how it feels to be a pastor at this time in your life. It's rewarding. Um, it's humbling. And. It is also a privilege, right? A lot of times people think that they automatically should be given something because maybe you have the credentials or no, it is a privilege to serve. I'm a first a servant. Mm-hmm. So it, it also at times feels like this aha moment in my life. I remember the first time I sat in the pulpit by myself that weekend, the Sunday before my getting appointed. And I'm like, this is, I'm here. It was like, I still every now and then get an on. I'm going on year three wow. of being in this assignment. Wow. Did you always know that you want to join the ministry? Probably since about 22-ish, I felt that call mm. that I was going to do something in the ministry. Mm. Um, I didn't know quite pastoring, but someone had prophetically told me that at age 15, um, that I would pastor one day. I laughed, of course. I was going to say, did you believe them? <laughs> I laughed, of course. <laughs> I was like, I'm going outside. Your, your mom's crazy. Um, but uh, here we are. <laughs> wow. So I'm I'm very thankful for that. Wow. So how many folks are in your congregation? Is it a big congregation? We are a small congregation, okay. probably the size of, of home church, which is priced for me. Um, we have about 50 members okay but about 20 to 30 are active right now in terms of online engagement some people have just kind of fallen off which is not uncommon in churches Mm -hmm. so i'm thankful though but they are a mighty bunch of people i'm telling you wow so you you you're 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 busy i mean you're busy during the weekday and then on the weekends and you do you commute back to providence so pre Pre-pandemic, okay. every weekend, I was in Providence, um, traveling mm-hmm. up and down the highway. It's about an hour and 50 minutes from where I live in the Berkshires, because I live in South County. Um, but during the pandemic, I traveled some days, but we're still virtual full-time. Okay. So. Well, I, I want to go a little bit back to the journey 
to oh, you yeah. becoming pastor. And there's a term also that it's called an ordained elder. So is that something that um, a, a role that happens before becoming a pastor or it allows you to become a pastor? No. So structurally, the way that our denomination, which is the Amy Zion Church, um, you could, under missionary rule, um, be called out to pastor even before being ordained. Mm-hmm. Even as a local preacher, you could be called out to pastor under missionary rule um, if a bishop sees fit to appoint you. Um, but in terms of the journey of ministry, ordained ministry, I'm at the highest ordination outside of a bishop one day if I want to run or something, but elder is your, your highest point in terms of clergy. Um, wow. So I first got ordained as a deacon, which is reverend, um, in the Amy Zion Church in 2016, and then I was ordained an elder in 2018. Wow. So prior to that, you'd go through a series of conference studies, traveling and within the um, denomination to learn mm-hmm. more in depth about studies, where you're going, almost like a seminary, but on a denominational level. Really amazing. If you don't mind me saying, you're pretty young in, in, <clears throat> in respect to like some of the pastors and bishops. How does that make you feel navigating the space with um, some of these um, older individuals in the ministry? In terms of how I approach things? Are you an anomaly? (laughs) <laughs> let's just let's just put it out there. I mean, do we see more Reverend Nikitas when, you know, everyone is together or are you one of few? Well, there are many more women coming up on the rise being okay. ordained. That's the first thing and younger, which is great. So okay. that's it's come up more throughout the time um, in terms of just within our district, though. Um, I'm probably the youngest female pastor on our Boston district. And then there's not too many of us females in general. Mm. So. Oh, yes, I'm still unique. And then being me and how I do it is definitely outside of the norm. Even how I present and dress and my style is very different. I refuse to be boxed in. I hear you. Well, I, <laughs> I mean, will not. <laughs> I, well, I think that's good. It shows that you can be your authentic self yes. and still have your sense of identity, still have your sense of flair, your style, and you're very stylish, I might add. Thank you. You're very stylish. <laughs> if, you, if only you guys could see her right now. She's very stylish. Um, I want to pivot a little bit um, so I, we get this in about your, your title as Lady Nikita. Oh, yeah. So there's Reverend Nikita and then there's Lady Nikita. So can we talk a little bit about the name itself i know the connection to bcc and that's where you found your sort of that's where you found your voice Mm -hmm. at that time so who is lady nikita oh goodness she's complex (laughs) that's my creative alter ego if i may say like you know how beyonce has sasha fierce and you're like there's sasha lady nikita is my creative alter ego when she is out she's on the stage unafraid not bothered by the crowd not even concerned if she gets a round of applause or not but her voice is going to open and and, and, and it's going to be heard so Lady Nikita is that voice for the voiceless not afraid to be poetic I am totally like unauthorized no permission I'm going to write what I want to write and that is the Lady Nikita in me she is the poet she is that anchoring woman warrior within me. I love that description. <laughs> I mean, we could like end right now, but we won't. Um, because I want to know, I want to go back to your, your Facebook live videos. And um, I've checked out a couple of them. I've been in a few of them and I was just like, wow, she's, she's so awesome. But, you know, during, you. <laughs> during your videos, you really have an opportunity to um, encourage folks, um, especially in the morning, you know, if you're getting ready for work and you see 
this message and you're literally speaking directly to your audience, what does it feel like to see some of the messages that come through after you've shared those words of encouragement? Um, and when you see people say, you know, this has touched me or, um, you know, I needed to hear this at this very moment. What does it make you like? How does it feel? And does it keep you going? It's inspiring and encouraging. Um, if I may be as transparent as possible, a lot of people don't realize is that when you are, I'm my own businesswoman, right? I, I don't have this large team behind me pushing me. I'm in front of my room, in my living room, my own wall I created. I have no big production fancy thing. It's me, right? So it really helps when people let you know that your impact is working. What you're passionate about to really help people is what I want to do. I don't care if I ever get an award for it or not. I'm going to help people to the day I go out this world right but when someone messages me and says what I said to them help them it it gives me a fuel and a fire to keep going no matter what wow hmm wow so we have when can we expect the next video okay I knew you were going to ask me that because I've been on a summer break So I am organizing and getting things together. As you know, I have so many other projects brewing. So you'll see me in the next couple of weeks with okay. the Fuel Up Friday okay. and I do Monday Motivation. Have you noticed I've been doing little reels of one right. minute hey queens yes. lately? <laughs> so I do a little pop up. So All you'll right. see me soon. And if you want to do a plug for your Facebook live videos, if people want to follow you, um, what should they follow? So here's the thing. My page is public. So okay. you don't have to friend request me. It's it's Nikita Bethel Smith. You can look that up right on Facebook, um, N-A-K-E-I-D-A, Bethel Smith, as it sounds. And my Monday motivations happen around 7 a.m. and then Fuel Up Friday as well. We'll be back running probably in the next two weeks. I also have an Instagram page that is public as well. That is Lady Nikita. And on Facebook, I do have a Lady in a Rev page that sometimes I share information to that as well. And the two pages are connected. But follow me. You don't have to hit the like. You don't even have to hit the share. I just want to make sure that I can impart my wisdom and my good intentions onto you all. All right. And lastly, what does the future hold for Reverend Nikita, Lady Nikita, (laughs) professional woman Nikita? (laughs) Um, The future holds, hmm, drum roll if I could, um, I would say more growth in the social media realm I want to continue to expand their podcast in the future Um, I definitely want to dabble in politics Um, I've done some I was a part of the pilot program for leadership impact through women's um, of Western Mass. I can't think of it. Women's Fund of Western Mass. That's right. So I'm definitely see a future there um, on probably some local levels. So we'll see. Stay tuned. All right. Well, <laughs> And some books and all is what I'm looking to do as well. Oh, I love it. So, so you have yeah. a whole business plan set up. Oh, yes, honey. <laughs> all right. We are, we are thoroughly inspired. Thank you. I just want to thank you so much, Nikita, for joining us today. And to our listeners, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with our next guest, Brian Andrews. Thank you, everyone. Now, there is one final message for you to transmit to Earth. It is the most important message you have ever sent. I want you to keep repeating it as many times as possible. 89.7 WTBR-FM Pittsfield. Hola, hola. I'm Daisy. Yo soy Marta. Whether you want to learn a little Spanish or get a glimpse of our wonderful Latin roots, join us as we celebrate Latin culture with music from genres ranging from salsa to bachata. Gain insight on local news, community information, and very special guests. 
only on Mundo Latino, welcoming listeners of all nations on WTBR 89.7 FM. Support for Mundo Latino comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union. Thinking about starting a successful business or expanding an existing one? We've helped over 1,500 businesswomen and men do just that. We're the Massachusetts Small Business Development Center Network, located in Pittsfield, and we cover all of Berkshire County. Contact us at 499-0933 or visit us on the web at msbdc.org slash Berkshire. Best of all, our services are free and confidential. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on 89.7 WTBRFM with Robert McCulloch-Dews of the Mayor's Office in the City of Pittsfield. Thanks for tuning in. So another round of thanks to Nikita Bethel-Smith for starting off our great conversation. Now I'd like to welcome Brian Andrews, President of County Ambulance. Brian, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me, Roberta. You know, the, our inside joke is it's it's been forever since I've seen you. Yeah, I know. All the way across town, huh? Yeah, so for our listeners, we actually had a COVID-19 task force debrief today. And so I had the pleasure of um, sitting in a conversation, a meeting um, led by our um, great facilitator, Brian. And um, it was a great meeting. And I think, as we all know, we're still going through the pandemic. So um, even though it was a debrief, we still have lots to learn and lots to do. So let's just get right into it, Brian. All right. All right. So County Ambulance was founded in 1982 by your family. It's the largest family operated ambulance service in Western Massachusetts with more than 100 employees. You have a fleet of over 30 vehicles in two locations in Pittsville. And County Ambulance is also the exclusive provider of 911 emergency ambulance service to Pittsfield. So this is a business, obviously, that has done well over time. And I'd just like to say your family's philosophy is the company that cares. It's simple, but it's to the point, and it means a lot. Um, if you could just tell me a little bit um, how and why your family got into the business in the first place. Well, it definitely is all my fault. Um, through the years, um, I took a, a real interest in first aid and, and CPR and things like that. My dad was the um, commander of the uniform branch of the sheriff's department, so um, I learned a lot about law enforcement at the time. And so when it came time to decide what I should do for a career, um, I didn't think that ambulance service was going to be an option, even though I loved doing that. So I was thinking of actually moving away to become a police officer. I'm the oldest um, of four children, so I think my mother freaked out a little bit that, uh, uh-oh, here's my oldest going. So next thing I know, my I was approached by my dad and my uncle and said, well, you know that dream you always had about going to the ambulance business? Um, we think we might be able to help out with that. And um, that's that's how it was born. It started out me, my uh, uncle, and my father back in 1982. So they did it for you? Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it was to, to keep me in the area so I didn't take off anywhere. And, wow. You know, and they there was a need for it. There definitely was a need for it. Um, the, the whole industry of ambulance and, and emergency medical services was really in a transition around that time, uh, becoming much more a specialty 
than it had been, and um, this area lacked in, in um, quality ambulance service. Mm. So um, we we started it and never envisioned that it would turn into what it is today, but um, we're thankful that it did. What were things like? I mean, I want to say almost 40 years now. I mean, what were things <laughs> yeah. like back then compared to now in terms of ambulance services? Yeah, it was... Um, it was not as regulated, although it, it, there were definitely regulations you had to worry about, but it wasn't as advanced. It was very basic. Um, there were no such things as paramedics back then or advanced life support. Uh, the vehicles were very basic. And um, we, we started by operating out of a two-bay service station. Um, it's actually where the Convenience Plus is at uh, Nor- uh, Tyler and Benedict Road. Mm-hmm. It used to be a service station, and we, we rented two bays there, and that's how we started out. And um, at that point, the police department was the 911 ambulance service. There was no 911 at that point. Um, but they they were providing service, but it soon discovered that it was becoming such a specialty that it wasn't something they wanted to keep doing. So that, two years later, led us to, to become the emergency provider for Pittsfield. Well, thank you for that history because I think a lot of people also assume that 911 has always existed. Yeah, right, right. No, it has not. You used to have to dial a seven-digit number. To, to, if you had an emergency, you needed to remember it. So you better, better hope you had a sticker on your phone or a Or else. Book. Yes, exactly. No help. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, well, thank goodness we have 911, and thank goodness we have robust services like like your, your business, um, County Ambulance. Uh, you know, one of the things, you know, having a business that's basically built around you um you know did you find that you were able to assume the position that you always wanted or did you see yourself navigating various roles through the business um definitely i've transitioned to where i am today um back in 1982 early 80s i was doing what i loved i was out on an ambulance and and running calls 24 hours a day seven days a week i used to bring an ambulance home actually and um you know that was that was where my love was then in the early 90s we saw a growth spurt um where the business began to really grow and so i found myself less able to be out on the the road and more uh, in the office you know tending to to the business aspects and then by the the late 90s it was really a full-time job Mm -hmm. being in the office and and that's what i do today is you know really just do administration Mm -hmm. um you know from the from the ceo level i have two questions but um so the first would be one what uh what caused the growth spurt back in the 90s what was that based on well i i I think a lot of it was because we were one of the first ambulances in the area to ever go paramedic so this was a newfound uh, level that really was able to offer a skill much above what the community was used to so we began to support a lot of the local community ambulances that were either volunteer or you know just basic ambulance so when they would have somebody having a heart attack or in cardiac arrest they would call us and then the hospital up to that point for transfers to Worcester Boston used to send nurses and on the ambulance and so now they had paramedics who could offer that high level of care they no longer had to send nurses and so we saw our role expanding in just transfer business as well. Wow. Yeah. You're like an arsenal of history. <laughs> I never thought the day would come, but yeah, I feel like a dinosaur some days. Well, did you always did you always 
I mean, you obviously knew that this was work that you wanted to um, get into, but did you ever imagine it would be your lifelong work? Um, kind of, yes. I mean, I think that this is always kind of what I wanted to do, and I don't know, you know, I do go off in different directions. You know, I, I do a lot of research and, and training in terrorism, so I've done some consulting in that area. I worked for Six Flags New England mm-hmm. for 10 years, um, helping them out with their ambulance and, and some planning there. Um, but yeah, I don't see myself doing much else than so this. So this is it? I, I think so, yeah. It's the one. I'm getting All too right. old to be switching gears. Well, they say you're never too old, right? No, you're, you're, true. you're never too old. Um, but, you know, the work that you do, I mean, obviously, do you consider yourself an EMT at heart? I mean, I know you're a CEO. I know that you are managing the operations, and so your role today is different. But in your heart, do you always almost think of yourself as that, you know, that EMT, that that person that came on the scene in that way? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that that's just my personality. So I often look at things from that perspective. Even business decisions are, are often driven by what I feel is best for the patient, best for the client. Um, you know, I it's been some years since I've been out on an ambulance, but I'll tell you that next week I'm putting a uniform on and I am going to go out to do a call because um, we are, the, the, our whole industry is in a staffing crunch at the moment. And so we're doing the best we can, but we've got a unique situation mm-hmm. going on with a, a nursing facility. And mm-hmm. I said, you know what, I'm going to go out and play EMT paramedic again. So, wow. yeah. Well, you know, I mean, obviously it's something that you know well. So it's just it's just taking off the suit and tie uh, and putting on the uniform. I'm not sure about that. I'm a little nervous. When I put the email <laughs> out looking for a partner, I said, you know, somebody's going to have to pull the load for me because I haven't been out there in a well, while. I'm sure you'll do just fine. You know, 40 years, you know, I mentioned it's, it's a long time. And when we think about um, the things that, you know, you and your team have seen, you know, the, the, the people in crisis, people in um, their uttermost state of need. And, you know, obviously you guys are there to help them through that. Do you have a particular experience that stands out in your mind and that you're free to share? Um, I mean, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of calls that stick with you. Um, most that you don't want to share because mm-hmm. it's, it, you know, it, it is seeing people at their worst moment. Right. Um, I always said that the, I think I actually got this from my dad, the two people you never want to see coming through your door is the, the ambulance or the undertaker. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we see people in their, in their worst moments. Um, certainly I've had some great moments. Yeah. You know, I've been involved with, um, you know, delivery of babies and, um, you know, and able, being able to make the difference. Um, you know, I, I'll relay one story that uh, always has stuck by me, and that was uh, a cardiac arrest that we went to. Um, it, it, and it was a strange situation. It was a call that had come in as a motorcycle accident earlier, like two hours before this. So um, the, it ended up to be a, a fatality. And then two hours later, we get called to the scene, and I'm going, like, why are we being sent? So we started heading there. And as we're heading there, this hearse goes flying by us, and, and so I'm now I'm really confused. So um, 
I we continued to the scene, and it turned out that a, a news reporter that was at the scene capturing the news story of this collapsed into cardiac arrest. And so the Hearst was just incidental that they were headed to the scene to get, unfortunately, the, the fatality that was there. So um, we worked aggressively. It was um, myself, another partner, and then the fire department was there. And we, and I remember it was difficult managing this patient. He, he had some things going on. Mm-hmm. And so I was very verbal and probably used a few choice words at the time. And lo and behold, we brought the person back, and he came back to visit me a couple weeks later. And that in itself was reward enough, but he was able to tell me all the choice words that I had used, and he laughed about it. And, you know, he was, he was so grateful how hard we worked. Um, and then he actually one day caught me in a restaurant and gave me a check. He said, here, I want you to have this. And it was a check he wrote out to me for $100. Hmm. And I, I was like, no, I can't accept this. And then I looked down, and in the memo field, he'd written, saved my life. And I said, you're not getting this check back. <laughs> and I, I carried that with me mm-hmm. to the, for the longest time in my wallet till it was so tattered. And then I actually scanned a copy of it. And, and I often use it with students when I'm teaching that mm-hmm. this is what makes it all worthwhile is when something like this happens. Right. You know, somebody cared enough to, to write you a checkout and put save my life in the memo field. That's that's pretty amazing, Brian. I wasn't expecting that story. <laughs> yeah. But I think that obviously you have so many stories that um, that fuel you, that keep you going. Um, and like you said, um, there are the ones that you don't share because they're private, um, but also because, you know, it's seeing people in that state of need, right? Yeah. And, um, and I think in a way, too, that could also serve as a form of encouragement because you know that you are meeting people in their moment of crisis. You are meeting people at the time when maybe there's no one else around, and so you guys are there. So that's an amazing opportunity to to be there for the community. Um, I wanted to ask you what keeps you going. Obviously, you you talked about that a little bit with this gentleman who gave you the check, but. Do you find or, or 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 have other ways that keep you going that make you say, you know what, today's another day, and I'm gonna keep pushing? Yeah, and it really to me is about meeting challenges. So I thrive on having uh, problems or new situations thrown at us and trying to figure out a, a way to deal with that. You know, certainly as we talked about today earlier with COVID, that that was a situation that although we had planned and and we were heavily involved in planning for um, bird flu and then Ebola, but COVID just was a different animal in so many respects. But it was. Um, you know, early on, there were people who would call me up and were really concerned because I was working a lot. And, you know, as somebody alluded today, that I never say no. But to me, that's what keeps me going is mm-hmm. if I know I can get to an end, end solution mm-hmm. that's going to help, that, that's what keeps me going. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even to this day after, you know, I've been an EMT for mm-hmm. 39 years um, and a paramedic, and it's it's not not old to me it's still a challenge i still enjoy it every so. day is fresh yeah yeah i would imagine so though because people have changed 
right? The knee changes. So you're not going to see the person you saw yesterday unless there's maybe a sustained issue. But um, I want to pivot a little bit because we do have a very important um, milestone coming up. And, um, you know, the anniversary of um, September 11th um, is on Saturday. And we all have our own distinct memories of that horrible, horrible day. And, um, you know, as someone, you are a first responder or someone who um, watched, you know, the events of the morning unfold and the aftermath. I wanted to just ask you about the kinship that you felt with seeing, you know, the brave men and women um, who raced toward the towers and were there to assist people on site. Yeah, that, um, you know, I think every generation has that event that sticks with them. You know, when I was growing up, it used to, I used to hear my parents and other people talk about the Kennedy assassination as being that moment that everybody knew where they were. And, and 9-11 was really the moment where I remember where I was. Uh, we were, um, every Tuesday, we have a family meeting um, over the business, and we talk about things and plan things. And so I remember... My brothers and my father, we were sitting in a meeting and, and going over our usual agenda when um, all of a sudden I happened to have to run to, a, to our building next door and the TV was on and I saw just the, the first unraveling of that and I knew there was something different about it and then um, now I, I kind of you know went back to my meeting but I said, I'll be right back and I went back and looked and now you know as it evolved... Um, Definitely a lot of things go through your head. I'm one of those that first thinks, how am I going to handle this if this were to happen in my community? Um, Even when I was out on an ambulance uh, on a daily basis, I used to do that to my partners all the time. We'd be driving along and I'd say, okay, this just happened. How? What are you going to do? And and so, yeah, I I mean, I definitely remembered um, saying, you know, uh, how how hard it was going to be for them to deal with that mm-hmm. um you know the magnitude of that no matter how big a department you are or you know how much experience you have to try to deal with that just was overwhelming mm. but i can tell you that the other overwhelming part of it then uh became real quickly apparent to me and that is um i've been since the early 90s president of EMS of Berkshire County, which is a nonprofit organization that represents all the ambulances and, and hospitals in, in the Berkshires. And um, I've been an executive officer of the Western Mass EMS group, which we represent all Western Mass. So I knew right away, as emergency providers, our, our inclination is always going to be, I want to go help. Right. And I knew uh, I had to make that hard decision to say, you know what? We're not going anywhere unless we're we're asked for a couple different reasons. One, because of you know training that I do, I knew that one of the biggest mistakes that happen in large scale incidents are, are agencies or departments that invite themselves, and it confuses things mm-hmm. and and can really overwhelm a scene. And secondly, we couldn't deplete our own area because you soon again because of studying I had been doing on terrorism, you didn't know if this was the end of it because as things happened, you know, in, in Pennsylvania was now part of the mix in Washington, right. D.C., and you're now saying, hey, we could be a target here. The last thing I'm going to do is 
let everybody leave the area. So I remember getting phone calls from some of our area ambulance services saying, hey, we want to go to New York. I'm sure you know um, you know, who to talk to to get us there. And I'm like, we can't. We need to hold firm because we need to make sure our communities are mm-hmm. protected first. Right. Um, so so you, you kind of came at it from two different directions. Did you ever, was there ever a time when you said, okay, now's the time, let's, let's go? Um, no, I will say I made a lot of phone calls and mm-hmm. made a lot of, you know, um, I have friends in New York City right. and, and made phone calls and let them know if you need help, we'll be there. But, you know, we're holding steady at this point. We don't want to cause more mm-hmm. problems. You know, I think we're in a time of just, you know, collective, rec- you know, um, reflecting. And do you have any reflections that you care to share about the impact of, of 9-11 and where we stand today as a country? Um, uh, uh, you're going to make me go there, aren't you? I mean, I, uh, the first thing that hit me was that the country came together. And we were one, and everybody was supporting each other, and we didn't care. Yes, there were those isolated incidents that were going on with you know members of certain communities yeah. that were looked at suspiciously. But as a whole, we really came together and, and became family and uh, you know and I, i'm not afraid to, to say this even though it's confrontation uh, not, not confrontational but um controversial controversial thank okay. you it's been a long day of talking <laughs> so i'm running out of words that's okay but, brian um we are so divided right now it just kills me inside and and i have to say over the last couple of years i've learned some lessons myself you know i've always thought of myself to be um you know a guy that cares about everybody or i wouldn't be in the type of work i'm in um that i think i'm sensitive to everybody's thoughts and needs and i found out that i've tripped up and done some things that unintentionally but I regretted and, and, and changed for the better. And it really kills me now to see a lot of our country going the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. So um, even on social media, I was kind of known as the guy who liked to stir the pot. And I would say things just to get guys going and, and girls going. And just then they laugh afterwards and go, I know exactly what you did to me. And I, I don't even do that anymore right. because you don't know how seriously people take these things. We were just talking about social media. <clears throat> social media is fraught. It's fraught. It's like a minefield. And, you know, it's sometimes you can't win. <laughs> Right. But, you know, I think to the point, Brian, that you mentioned that you had that um, that you have been, you know, sometimes on the end of learning. And I think having a willingness, I think when I think about 9-11 and I think about the lessons that came out of that time, we were connected and, you know, united as a country. And it didn't matter your ethnicity. It didn't matter where you were from. It just mattered that you were an American. And based on that, we cared for one another. And I think, like you said, that is the most tragic part about all of this is that we went through all of that and we are so divided. And sometimes I think to myself, like, how can we get back to that place? And to your point about when you went through your own situation where maybe you could have said something that you're like, I didn't really mean that. You were able to overcome it because you had a willingness to figure out, okay, what happened? And you wanted to learn. And you came to the conversation with um, sort of that willingness and that open-mindedness, right? And I think... 
as a country, I think we can, um, it would serve us well to remember that um, some of the values, like being open and being willing um, to listen to our neighbor, um, can serve us well, um, especially in moments of tragedy. Because we see what what happens when um, we're all faced with something as monumental as September 11th. We're all in the same boat. Absolutely, we're all in the same boat when it matters. You know, in times like that. So, I think we just need to remember the lessons that we learned and. Um, and reflect on that. Well, you know, and I'm going to say, I think people need to have the courage to look within themselves. And I say that because um, when I was going through my situation um, a couple of years ago, where something was taken uh, differently than I, I meant it to be, to be, but I learned why it was what I did meant mm-hmm. to somebody. And I had somebody reach out to me on social media who I had never met before, and she was from... Um, over the mountain in the Northampton, East Hampton area. And she she knew I was struggling with what had happened because I posted kind of a heartfelt message regarding my situation. And she goes, you know, if you ever want to sit down, um, I, I'll help you kind of look at what happened. I said, oh, okay, yep. And I figured, well, it's just another not so on the internet trying to bait me in. And I, I thought about it. And later that day, I reached out to her and I said, yeah, I want to meet you. And I, I met her. Mm-hmm. And and we became good friends, and she helped me uh, look at things a lot differently. Wow! And she said the other day, we ha- we haven't talked in in a while. It's been busy, and so she somehow in the conversation she she said, "Well, you're courageous." I said, "What are you talking about?" And she says, "Well, do you remember that day that you agreed and you sat down and met with me?" And I go, "Oh yeah." She goes, "That's." what it takes right. to learn and to open your mind. And, and I think, um, you know, thank you for giving me the opportunity yeah. to say this because this is what I thought I was coming in here to say. <laughs> but um, I, more of it needs to take place. Yeah. You know, even, and you say tragedies bring us together. I'm not even sure about that anymore. Mm-hmm. Look at the events that just happened with Afghanistan. Right. And, you know, we can always second guess who mm-hmm. the, but all that came out of that, did we pull together as a country because we lost some service members? And right. No. We started blaming each other, each other's groups, yeah. each other, you know, so. No, you're absolutely right, Brian. I think we have to figure out a way um, to dig deep. And I think that's where the individual work has to come into play. I mean, as individuals, we have to look within ourselves and, and figure out, you know, am I headed down the right course? You know, am I bringing people together or am I driving them apart? There's only two ways. So, I mean, it's like an equation, right? You either are, it's greater or less than. So are you contributing to the greater or are you contributing to the less than? And if people are honest with themselves, they'll answer honestly. But if they're not, then we'll continue headed down this path. And I think for those of us who are aware and um, and want better for our country, I think we have to continue to stay the course because I do believe that good will prevail. And um, I think we just have to stay the course with that work. So my hope is that we can, you know, think about that around this time. It's it's just, it's a milestone that we wish we didn't have to have, quite I, honestly. I agree with you 100%. And, and, and you're right. We have to hope and we have to be patient unfortunately um and and so the other day i got a phone call from smitty picnatelli who's been a family friend for years and he said hey i need your help oh really what he goes do you realize we have a whole generation that 
never experienced 9-11. They, they might know a little bit about it from reading about it, but they, I said, you're right. He says, we can't let people forget. And so Saturday, he's doing a memorial, um, kind of a procession of emergency providers going to yeah, go through some community. Yeah, I did community. read about that. Yeah. And so he had asked if I could help from, my, you know, my per- part of the, the emergency services. I said, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's more people helping us remember the tragedies right. we've been through. We can't forget about them and brush them aside. And and we need to remember the lessons that we absolutely can learn from them. Absolutely. The, 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 the mantra from 9-11 was never forget, you know, and, you know, at home on my, in my dresser, I have a postcard of New York with the Twin Towers. And, you know, I went to school in New York, went to NYU. So for me, I remember the Twin Towers are right down Broadway. And every time I had to pay my credit card bill, I went to the towers um, because, you know, on the concourse, they had all the stores. And um, yeah, that's how I got hooked with, you know, the credit cards and stuff <laughs> back then. Um, but that was that was my marker as a student i had my backpack on and i walked straight down broadway and the towers were literally i mean it's like a cavern it was just right down broadway and i could just walk i went through chinatown and i got down to um the towers and so it was always there it was always there and so for me you know um I won't forget, and my kids are a part of that generation that don't know my oldest was born in two thousand and three so they look at 9-11 as something in the history books now. And so I think it is up to us who have experienced it and remember to impart the lessons to them so that they too will, won't, won't forget and won't repeat some of the things that came in the aftermath of all of this. Um, you know, switching gears lightly now, I, I wanted to take us back to, to 2020. And um, I will just speak for myself um, and maybe some others that there were so many unknowns. There was fear. There was confusion. I feel like in spite of all of that, we had to figure it out. Um, But even in our our COVID task debrief, you mentioned that while there was all this uncertainty, you actually had a barometer, a foundation upon which you were able to reference. Can you speak a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I I mean, we're always looking forward. What's the threat to to us in emergency services? And so um, years ago, it started talking about bird flu and how that could rapidly become a pandemic. And and did, I did a consultant to do a exercise, multi week exercise of how it would roll out. And little did we know that many years later that that would mirror what we we talked about. And then, um, of course, Ebola occurred, and we went through the same things. It certainly was a shorter duration. And I remember a couple years after Ebola, doing I present at EMS conferences, and I was at the State of Vermont's EMS conference. And one of the presentations I did was uh, preparing for emerging diseases. And somebody in the room said, what malarkey is this? All diseases are diseases. And, you know, I go, we have not seen all the diseases we're going to see, folks. There there are mutations and things that we... You said ha- that? Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so little did we know that something of this magnitude, of this variety, um, which really SARS is a member of the same family, so we had the precursors there. So... Um, yeah, and so as you heard us talk today, mm-hmm. we know this isn't the last one. You know, where what are we going to look at in the future? Right. So, um, 
Hmm. Definitely. Well, in terms of the lessons, I mean, we're, we're still in the pandemic, so it's almost like we're also like kind of learning on the job. Mm-hmm. But if we had, if you had to look back and think about some of the, um, the the experiences that your team um, um, encountered or went through, um, what would be some of the standouts that you could share in terms of maybe I know there was the stop the spread, there was there was pool testing, so so many things. There was the mobile testing. Um, so when you think about all of that, do you consider those the standout um, pieces of initiatives that you're proud of and that you consider to be significant? I think I, I think there's. A couple things that stand out to me right away. Number one was, um, quickly as, as it was announced, this is a pandemic and there's an emergency and now everybody's scooping up uh, personal protective equipment and nobody could buy it. And we had we had a whole stockpile from Ebola um, because we prepared and we didn't get rid of the equipment. We maintained it and made sure. So when people started to scramble i was like okay guys go down in the cellar and there's all our stuff on the shelves and so we you know i was proud that we we didn't you know some people would look at that as a passing phase ebola okay when it's over we forget about it Mm -hmm. no we stayed prepared and then the biggest moment i think i'm proud of is is the mobile testing um you know being on the front line with bmc and being integrated into their operations as well as the the mayor's task force, um, I quickly knew that there was going to be a a whole uh, segment of population that was not going to be able to Mm -hmm. make it to testing tents, to labs and such. So we quickly, and I'm not going to say alone, um, I worked closely with a friend um, from the other end of the state Mm -hmm. who owned, at the time, uh, one of the largest ambulance services in Massachusetts. I said, hey, I got this idea. And he always says that we're brothers from different mothers because he was like, dude, I'm already, we're thinking this. And, and boom, boom, boom. Next thing I know, um, you know, within a week, we were ready and out there doing mobile testing at people's homes, at nursing facilities, at um, senior apartment buildings. We were one of the the, the busiest and um, first doing it in the state mm-hmm. and then um, later on there were other ambulance services that jumped on board and um, you know we it, it, that to me it was a proud moment because it was something that was definitely not on our radar to do <laughs> but we thought how can we help in the community and and that was a, one of those proud moments we have what was the vicinity for mobile testing was it pittsfield beyond pittsfield well or? It, it initially started out as berkshire county and so we were going from one end of Berkshire County to the other. Um, but then we became a big partner with with my buddy from from uh, Newton. And so we ended up, we did mobile testing from the New York State border all the way to just east of Worcester. We would send crews out that would just go all over um, the state. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, Exhausting work that they were doing. Uh, I was lucky to have some key people that did a great job. I mean, how were you able to? I mean, there's the mobile testing, then there was the stop. I mean, that's a lot of work. Stop the spread, mobile testing, all of this. Um, tell me a little bit about the impact on your manpower. Yeah, um, it definitely did have its impact. But, you know, the, the good part was. Our EMS business was down. People weren't going to the hospital. They weren't going to their doctor's appointments. So we had less ambulance work to do. So we were able to transition those people into it. 
Okay. Um, and then we brought in additional staff. We started, but I can tell you that right now we've got tired staff. Okay. Um, and just in terms of, I'm gonna we're winding down yeah. a little bit, but yeah. so I have two questions for you. Um, maybe just one. Um, <laughs> we're in the pandemic still. What guidance uh, do you have to share with the community? as we continue to forge ahead, because I feel like we still need to be vigilant. Yeah, I, I, first and foremost is don't forget all those habits that you learned, like washing your hands all the time, um, you know, good infection control things, get vaccinated. I, you know, that's the one thing I still do fight with people on social media about is, is getting vaccinated. Um, my own sister, who is a respiratory therapist, would not get vaccinated would not i'm not we we go back and forth and i love her dearly and all i'll say is thank god her employer mandated it so she had to get vaccinated that is really truly the most important piece don't fall into this false information that gets spread across you know social media um believe me i have stayed up nights and read those pay you know from Front to back, those mm -hmm. studies that were done on this, people say, well, it, it didn't get the same testing. It did get the same testing, but it was done in an accelerated fashion. Mm. And it, But they had great numbers of people that were studied. And so get vaccinated. Um, if you're not vaccinated, definitely wear your mask. Um, if you live in a vulnerable household, people who are sick or elderly, wear your mask, even if you're vaccinated, because you can still pick up That's um, right. you know, the infection and bring it home. That's right. Brian, you are a treasure trove of information. Um, I hope you are finding ways to impart the knowledge that you have with our community, um, you know, in continuous ways. So don't let it stop because you have a lot to share and you've seen a lot, especially the fact that we didn't always have 911. There you go. I don't think a lot of people knew that. No, Maybe they, they don't. But I, I got lots of uh, little trivial questions or trivial uh, piece of information like that. All right, everyone, you've been listening to uh, Backstory. I want to thank you so much, Brian, and um, I hope you are able to enjoy your day. Um, everyone, you've been listening to Backstory. Let's hit on WTBRFM Pittsville with Roberta McCulloch Dews of the Mayor's Office in the City of Pittsville. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and have a great day.